0: listening to the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on this four-volume, over 2,500-page work by the Venerable Maria Vagrida. And if you would like to discuss today's readings, go over to Facebook and look for the Mystical City of God in a Year Facebook group, and there you can interact with other readers and listeners and also with me. Today is Day 66, and today we are reading from Book 2, Chapter 11, Paragraphs 571-582. to 582. We'll read the chapter in its entirety. Chapter 11. The Virtue of Fortitude is Practiced by the Most Holy Mary. 571. The Virtue of Fortitude, which is the third of the four cardinal virtues, serves to moderate the personal activity of each one's choleric affections. Although it is true that concupiscence precedes irascibility, and therefore temperance, which regulates concupiscence, might seem to precede fortitude, because the resistance pertaining to fortitude is exerted against that which opposes concupiscence. Nevertheless, we must first treat of the activity of the choleric affections, and their moderation through fortitude. For in the pursuit of that which is desired, success ordinarily depends upon the intervention of the irascible faculties for overcoming the obstacles that present themselves. Therefore, fortitude is a more noble and excellent virtue than temperance, of which we shall treat in the following chapter. 5.72 The moderation of the irascible passions by the virtue of fortitude is made up of two elements or kinds of activity, to give way to anger in conformity with reason, propriety and honor, to repress unreasonable anger and passion whenever it is more useful to restrain, than to allow them to act. For as well the other one as the other can be praiseworthy or blameable according to the end in view and the circumstances of the affair in hand. The first of these two kinds of operations of this virtue is properly called fortitude, being called by some teachers pergnacity. The second is called patience, which is the more noble and excellent kind of fortitude and is possessed and exercised principally by the saints. The worldly-minded throwing aside good judgment and usurping a false term are apt to call patience pusillanimity and miscall inconsiderate and rash presumption fortitude. Thus it comes that they never attain the true practice of the virtue of fortitude. 573. In Most Holy Mary there were no inordinate movements which could call to activity the irascible affections for the exercise of fortitude, For in the most innocent queen all the passions were well-ordered and subject to reason, and her reason was subject to God, who governed her in all her actions and movements. But she was in need of this virtue in order to overcome the obstacles placed by the devil in diverse ways, seeking to prevent her from attaining what she most prudently and most properly desired for herself and her most holy Son. And in this most valiant resistance and conflict None of the creatures ever showed more fortitude, for no one ever encountered such conflicts and opposition as she from the demon. But whenever it became necessary to make use of this kind of fortitude or pertinacity with human creatures, she was equally sweet and forcible, or rather, she was just irresistible, as she was the most sweet in her activity. For this heavenly lady alone among all the creatures was able to copy so faithfully in her operations that attribute of the Most High, which unites irresistible power with heavenly sweetness. Wisdom one. Thus our queen proceeded in her actions with fortitude, knowing no disorderly fear in her generous heart, as she was superior to all creation. Neither was she rash or audacious or immoderate, being alike removed from all these vicious extremes. For in her great wisdom she knew what terrors were to be vanquished, and what rashness was to be avoided. Thus, she was the chosen woman, clothed in the strength of fortitude and beauty. Providence 31.25. 5.74. That part of fortitude which consists in patient endurance, Most Holy Mary practiced in a still more admirable manner. For she alone participated in the excellent patience of her Most Holy Son, who bore punishment and suffered innocently without guilt, and in a greater measure than all those who had contracted that guilt. The whole life of the Sovereign Queen was a continual suffering and tribulation, especially during the life and passion of our Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Her patience during this time exceeds the comprehension of all creatures, and only the Lord, who imposed this suffering upon her, could worthily understand its greatness. Never was this most pure dove excited to the least impatience against any creature, nor did any of the immense tribulations and sorrows of her life seem great to her, nor was she ever dejected on account of them, nor did she fail to accept them all with joy and gratitude. If, according to the apostle, the first requisite of charity, and as it were its firstborn, is patience, 1 Corinthians 13, 4, and if our queen was the mother of love, Proverbs 24, 24, then she was also the mother of patience, and her love in the measure of her patience. From the degree in which we love and esteem the eternal good, and we should esteem it above all visible things, in that degree will be ready in order to obtain and avoid the loss of it, to suffer all hardships and patience. Hence, Most Holy Mary in her love was patient beyond all that is created, and she was the mother of patience for us. Flying to her protection, we shall find the Tower of David with its thousand shields of patience pending from it. Canticle Four, four With which the brave one of the church and of the militia of Christ our Lord arm themselves for battle. 575. Our most patient queen was never affected by the caprices of feminine inconstancy, nor indulged in outward signs of anger. All this she restrained by the aid of divine light and wisdom. Although these latter did not do away with pain, but rather augmented it, for no one could recognize the infinite misfortune of sins and offenses against God as this lady. But even so, her invincible heart could not be disturbed, Neither the malice of Judas nor the injuries and insults of the Pharisees ever could cause signs of anger in her exterior. Although at the death of her Most Holy Son all the insensible elements and creatures seemed to have lost patience toward mortals, not being able to suffer the injuries and offenses done to their Creator, Mary alone remained unmoved and ready to receive Judas. All the Pharisees and high priests who crucified Christ, if they had chosen to return to this mother of piety and mercy... 5.76. It is true, without thereby passing the bounds of reason or virtue, the most meek queen could justly have been indignant and angry at those who delivered over her most holy son to such a frightful death. For the Lord himself punished this sin in his justice. While following up this thought, I was informed that the Most High provided against these movements, and kept her free from all motions and affections of anger, though they would not have been unjust. For he wished to prevent her from being the accuser of these sinners, because he had chosen her as the Mediatrix, an advocate, the mother of mercy. Through her were to flow all the mercies which he wished to grant to all the children of Adam. He wished her to be the one creature that could worthily intercede for sin and temper the wrath of the just judge. Solely against the demon, the anger of this lady was given free scope also insofar as this passion was necessary to exercise patience and forbearance and to overcome the impediments with which this enemy and ancient serpent obstructed her beneficent course, 577. To this virtue of fortitude belong also magnanimity and magnificence because they in a manner partake of the nature of this virtue by giving firmness to the will in matters relating to fortitude, Magnanimity consists in pursuing great things, and thus striving after the great honors of virtue. Its subject matter is therefore great honorableness, from which arise many qualities, peculiar to the magnanimous, as for instance to a poor flattery and the pretenses of hypocrisy, for to love these is part of a small and mean soul, not to be covetous, selfishly looking only for usefulness but rather to seek honorable and great things, to speak little of oneself, not to brag, not to be easily taken up by small things, and not to avoid the greater undertakings, to be more inclined to give than to receive, for all these things are worthy of honor. But this virtue is not on this account opposed to humility, for one virtue cannot be opposed to another. Magnanimity causes us to use our gifts and virtues in such a way as to merit the great honor without at the same time seeking honor anxiously and unreasonably. Humility, on the other hand, teaches us our relation to God and the smallness of our desert caused by our defects in our own lowly nature. On account of the special difficulties connected with great and noble undertakings, fortitude, especially the fortitude called magnanimity, is necessary. This proportions our forces to the execution of great works, neither allowing us to desist from the pusillanimity, nor to attempt them with the presumption, disorderly ambition, or vainglory. For these vices magnanimity abhors. 578. Magnificence similarly points to the execution of great deeds, and in this signification it may enter into the perfection of every virtue. For in all virtues great things may be undertaken." But as there is special difficulty in great outlays or sacrifices, magnificence, more particularly, is that virtue which inclines us to make great sacrifices in the prudent manner, so that there may be neither negardliness, where much is required, nor profuseness, where there is no need, wasting and destroying without necessity. Although this seems to be the same virtue as liberality, yet the philosophers distinguish one from the other. Magnificence regards only the greatness of the cost without attending to other circumstances, whereas liberality regulates the temperate love and use of money. One can therefore be liberal without being magnificent, as liberality may stop short of its course when there is great question of great and important favors. 579 These virtues of magnanimity and magnificence were possessed by the Queen of Heaven in a manner unattainable by others capable of these virtues. Mary alone found no difficulty or hindrance in accomplishing great things, and she alone did everything on a grand scale, even though the matter was small in itself. She alone understood the full bearing of these virtues, as she did of all the rest. She could give them their full perfection without gauging them by any contrary inclinations, Nor was she ignorant of the perfect manner of exercising, nor of making them dependent upon the assistance of other virtues. For this is wont to happen with most holy and prudent men, who, when they cannot attain entire perfection in all virtue, chose that which seems to be the best of them. In all her practices of virtues, this lady was so magnanimous that she always performed that which was most excellent and worthy of honor and commendation." Yet though she deserved honor and praise from all creatures, she was nevertheless most magnanimous in despising it and referring it to God alone. She preserved her humility with the highest perfection of virtue. The acts of heroic humility stood, as it were, in heavenly rivalry with the magnanimous excellence of all her other virtues, and were like richest jewels set in contrast with the beauteous variety of excellences that adorned the daughter of the king, whose glory, as David her father had said, Psalm forty-four, fourteen, is all from within. 580. Also in magnificence, our queen greatly excelled, for although she was poor and without any affection toward earthly things, nevertheless she dispensed most freely those things with which the Lord furnished her as happened with the precious gifts which the Magi offered to the child Jesus, and many times afterwards, in the course of her life, after the Lord had ascended to heaven. As mistress of all creation, she also showed her great magnificence by willingly yielding the whole of it, for the common benefit and for the honor and worship of God. Many she instructed in this doctrine and virtue, which on account of their vile customs and inclinations mortals practiced with so much difficulty, and in which they never reach the proper perfection of prudence. Commonly, mortals follow their inclinations and desires, seeking only the honor and emulments of virtue, and to be esteemed as great and extraordinary. The honor and glory of virtue is thus diverted from the Lord by their wrongful hankering, and consequently, when any occasion presents itself for the performance of a magnanimous and generous deed, they shrink back and fail to exercise it. They shrink back and fail to execute it on account of the littleness and meanness of their sentiments. As their desire of seeming great, excellent, and worthy of admiration nevertheless remains, they have recourse to other measures, proportionably deceitful and really vicious, such as getting angry, showing arrogance, impatience, haughtiness, dislike, and boastfulness. However, these vices are not a part of magnanimity, but of smallness and meanness of heart. Hence, as such conduct and sentiments repel rather than attract honor, they do not gain the honor and esteem of the wise, but contempt and abhorrence. Instruction vouchsafed by the Queen of Heaven. 581. My daughter, if thou seekest attentively to obtain a full understanding of the excellence and the propriety of the virtue of fortitude, as is my wish, thou shalt come into the possession of a most efficient check for the guiding of thy irascible affections, for these are the passions which are most easily moved to action, and are most apt to overstep the bounds of reason. Thou shalt also have the means of attaining to the utmost greatness and perfection of virtue which thou desirest, and of resisting and overcoming all the machinations of the enemies who seek to intimidate thee in the pursuit of what is hard in perfection. But understand, my dearest, that the irascible in thy nature assists the concusable by opposing what is hostile To the object sought after by the concusable powers. On this account, the irascible will deteriorate much faster than the concusable. As soon as the concusable affections become disordered and begin to love what is only apparently good or what is vicious, in place of a virtuous fortitude, many execrable and deformed vices will then result. This will also teach thee that disorderly love of one's own excellence and distinction and vainglory, which are the sources of pride and vanity, will breed many vices peculiar to the irascible passions, such as discords, contentions, quarrels, boasting, strife, impatience, obstinacy. Moreover, also vices peculiar to the concupiscible passions, such as hypocrisy, lying, vain strivings, curiosity, and the desire to appear more than is befitting to a creature and conceal the meanness which truly belongs to one who has committed sins. From all these contemptible vices thou shalt keep thyself free, if thou wilt earnestly mortify and restrain the inordinate movements of concupiscence by virtue of temperance, which I will now teach thee. For when thou strivest after that which is just and useful, although thou must make use of fortitude and of well-ordered irascible passions, must always be done in such a way as to not pass the proper bounds, and there is continual danger of allowing oneself to be carried away by inordinate zeal for virtue, when one is subject to self-love or any disorderly love. Sometimes this vice disguises itself and hides under the cloak of a pious zeal, and its victims, anxious to appear zealous for God and the good of their neighbor, are in reality deceived and ensnared into anger by selfish motives." On this account, the patience which is founded in charity, and which is accompanied by generosity and magnanimity, is very honorable, estimable, and necessary. For he that really loves the highest and truest good easily bears the loss of apparent honor and glory, despising it with magnanimity as vile and contemptible. Even when it is freely given by the fellow creatures, the magnanimous will set no value on it. He will show himself invincible and constant in all his undertakings. Thus, he will advance according to his opportunities and the virtues of perseverance and patience. This concludes our reading today for day 66. We've been reading from book two, chapter 11, paragraphs 571 to 582. Please note that in the book, it only has paragraph 581. There is no 582. It picks up at 583 tomorrow. Today was another deep reading in which we broke down the virtue of fortitude it was interesting to hear all the different aspects of fortitude, like magnanimity and so many others. And so we realize that the virtuous life, then, like a core virtue, is broken down into sub virtues which comprise the whole of that virtue. When it comes to the Blessed Virgin Mary and the virtue of fortitude, one of the things that Maria Vagrata brings out is the reality of Mary's patience, and her patience, especially during the passion of Jesus, his suffering, his tribulation, that through it all, she maintained courage. Mary also was saluted under another title in our reading today. We've talked about her as Mother of Love, and here today we hail her as the Mother of Patience. Whenever I think about Mary's patience, I think about her as a young Jewish girl growing up in a Jewish family among a people who have been waiting for the coming of the Messiah. And she is in the temple preparing her heart for the coming of that Messiah, even though she may not yet know that the Messiah is going to come through her. And so Mary with her parents and all of the people of Israel have waited. And so this is patience. This is courage. This is persevering in a time when a person might give up, but courageously waits for the Lord. We also heard that Mary is the mother of piety and mercy because she is the mediatrix and the advocate, the mother of mercy. And this was brought out in talking about how Mary dealt with those who betrayed her son and how she lovingly received them. And how she would have forgiven them, and how God wanted to mediate that grace of mercy and forgiveness to them through her. Think of the stories of individuals who they had the death of someone caused by another, and then there's that radical story of forgiveness. It's what God wants, it's what Mary did. I came to understand magnanimity in this reading as well. Magnanimity consists in pursuing great things and thus striving after the great honors of virtue. You know what the greatest thing that we can pursue in our life? God, holiness, heaven. And so as fellow believers, we set our eyes toward that heavenly goal, striving by our life, by our actions to attain that kingdom that Jesus has promised for you and for me. Magnanimity also consists of speaking little of oneself, not to brag and not to be easily taken up by small things, and not to avoid the greater undertakings, to be more inclined to give them than to receive. For all these things are worthy of honor. So magnanimity and courage require humility, not pride. We heard that Mary preserved her humility while practicing the highest perfection of virtue. As we've been reading about virtue the past few days, we realize perhaps some of our own vices, and maybe we realize how we've fallen short of the ideal of the highest perfection of virtue. But it gives us something to strive for every day, to say, I want to be a better person. I want to live the more virtuous life. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on the mystical city of God. I'm very honored that you have joined me today, and I hope that you'll join me again tomorrow. May God bless you, and Mary pray for you.